This ain't your mother's Peter Pan. The person calling the whole fucking show wouldn't, like, yeet out of their position. Yes, that's me, future PhD, if I don't drop out. Never mind, let's cut that. I'm Abby. And I'm Brianna. And this is What's Next, a podcast for folks who know the show must go on. Our most special friend of the pod this week. Oh, it's gonna get sad real fast. Oh no. Um, okay, it's okay. We got it. We got it. Um, our our most special friend of the pod. This one of our professors and mentors who we've got to work with on several shows at our school. Um, so this week's extra special for the pod is Jason, and we wanted to dedicate this week's episode to him. Um, and we chose this topic of theater mishaps and disasters because Jason, who is a sound designer and sound engineer, um, he would always be the calmest person at every tech week um, meeting and during the long ass 10 to 10 days. Mm-hmm. So um, we felt that he would appreciate chatting about some of these chaotic events and having a giggle at some of them and standing back and just shaking our head at the others. So yeah, we're very pleased to dedicate this week's episode to our friend, Jason. Welcome to theater disasters with Abby and Brianna. Theater disasters is what it's called. Anytime I'm cast in a play written by a man. (laughs) This week we are talking about theater disasters slash accidents and mishaps mm-hmm. personally i i think theater mishaps and and bloopers are so fun um but a lot of them are also like a very you had to be there moment so we picked really big ones um we picked like four mm-hmm. pretty big incidents and then some that are like random stories about well-known people and then we can briefly discuss our own experiences, because I don't want to bore people with that. But there's one in particular that fucking haunts me to this day. So we'll just talk about that one. Yeah, your note is something that I'm not sure if I knew happened. So that might be a first time story for me. I yeah, have no I guess idea. we'll see when we get there. Do you want me to start off with the historical theater disasters? Yeah, please do, BB PhD. Yes, that's me, future PhD. If I don't drop out. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to drop out. <laughs> um. Yes, I am indeed a theater historian. I don't know if I can really call myself that until I have, like, an advanced degree, which will not be for a while, but a girl can dream, I guess. Um, So I'm going to start off with reading some historical information here. One of the most well-known theater disasters was when the Globe Theater burnt down in 1613. The Globe Theater was in London, and it's the theater that Shakespeare's acting theater company performed at, um, and they performed his plays. So what happened was they were doing a performance of Henry VIII, and they used a cannon to signal the entrance of King Henry in one of the scenes, and some material that was still ablaze from the cannon got stuck on the roof and it caught fire because the entire theater was made of wood. 
So when you shoot a cannon inside a theater that's made of wood, I feel like it's safe to assume that something is going to catch on fire. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Because I don't think it was an open air theater. Like it had, like I said, and like what the history says, like there was a roof. But I don't know if there was any sort of like ventilation or opening in the roof. I would have to look at renderings of it. So it caught on fire. And at this point, over 2,000 people could fit in the globe. People just started, like, evacuating, trampling over each other, and, like, miraculously only one or two people were injured, and no deaths were reported. But the Globe Theater did not make it. It burned basically entirely down within an hour because it was also summer. The one little anecdote that I saw in a couple of different resources was that this audience member's clothes caught on fire, and he put them out with a bottle of ale. And I'm like, isn't ale referring to, like, an alcoholic beverage? And isn't alcohol flammable? One webpage I was reading about this event, it was talking about different people's reactions to it and, like, how those were documented. And the Puritans apparently thought of the fire as divine vengeance because they thought theater was Satanistic and evil and, you know, anti-Christian and all those things. And this little street ballad, like, I don't know if you would really call it like a folk song, appeared. It's not attributed to any author, but it tells the story of the fire of, or at the Henry VIII performance. And I'm going to read it because I think it's kind of funny. This fearful fire began above, a wonder strange and true, and to the stage house did remove, as round as Taylor's clue, and burnt down both beam and snag, and did not spare the silken flag. Oh, sorrow, pitiful sorrow, and yet all this is true. And the reason why it's kind of funny is because All This Is True was actually the original title of Henry VIII, the play. So whoever wrote this was being real clever in their rhyming story of the Globe Theater burning down. Um, and there's people that theorize that the fire and the burning down of the theater took a toll on Shakespeare's health because after the fire he sold his shares of the performance company and did not contribute any money to the 1400 euros required to rebuild the theater, which 1400 euros in 1613 was probably a shit ton of money. And then he wrote his last play, which I think was Two Gentlemen of Verona, I'd have to confirm that. <laughs> and died in 1616, which was only three years after the fire. Nice. So that was probably, like, I would assume one of the first, like, documented theater disasters. I'm sure there was one where, like, the gods got pissed off, caused a plague in a small city. Well, yes, but... <laughs> That's more of, like, a divine... That's, like, for you to learn once intervention. you have your PhD. Yes, that is... That's advanced. Once we as a society have progressed past the need for me to get a PhD in theater history, then I'll learn about what all the gods were up to. I googled the, the alcohol fire thing. In the medieval period, an alcohol content percentage above 3% would have been uncommon. Oh. So according to my brief Google, anything that's like below 40% would not burn very well. Gotcha. Interesting. 
So this first fun little anecdote was told to me by one of my professors at my previous school, so you haven't met him, um, but he was in the original Broadway production of Sweeney Todd. In Sweeney Todd, Mrs. Lovett, who was played by Angela Lansbury, she has to look kind of like grimy, you know? So in order to dirty up the costume, Apparently, they took it out back into, like, the alley and threw it around and, like, dumped tomato sauce on it um, and just, like, made it all gross. And Angela Lansbury put it on. She's allergic to tomatoes, so she had, like, a severe allergic reaction and everyone was super scared that she was going to die. Oof. Yeah. Rip. Obviously, she ended up being okay, but, like, imagine being the costume assistant who almost killed Angela Lansbury. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is not a title I would want. Yeah, that's definitely a deleted scene from Murder, she wrote. Yeah. I feel like I've heard other stuff like that before. Like the guy in The Wizard of Oz, the movie, who was originally supposed to play the Tin Man, he was like super allergic to the metallic paint that they put on him. That, like, it literally made him so ill that he just, like, could not even do the movie. And then he ended up, like, leaving the film and then somebody else played the Tin Man. And I think they also changed the makeup because, like, the makeup was just, like, straight up not something that you should be putting on your skin. Hold on, I'm googling it. Got a fact check. Real time fact check. Yeah, he had aluminum makeup on the skin and he had an allergy to the... Aluminum dust makeup. It was toxic, bruh, that's fucked. He complained of lung issues until his death, claiming his symptoms were a direct result of the Tin Man body paint and, quote, that damned movie. And so that was the that was the actor that didn't end up playing him, right? Nine days into the filming, he suffered a bronchial reaction, and then he was replaced. All of the scenes which he appeared were reshot, oh, so he okay. doesn't appear in the film. That sucks. Because, like, so, like, he doesn't even get to reap the benefits of being in The Wizard of Oz because he didn't finish filming and he spent the rest of his life <laughs> That's fucked up, man. from lung issues. Uh, while we were talking about The Wizard of Oz, let's talk about the incident that occurred during one of Adina Menzel's last shows of her run in Wicked. January 9th was supposed to be her last show. This was in 2005. And January 8th, According to my research, it appears to have been a two-show day. And during the matinee, at the scene of Wicked Spoilers, by the way, where the Wicked Witch melts, she goes behind the scrim and a trapdoor lowers her down, so she melts. Well, during this performance, she essentially fell through the trapdoor and broke a rib. She did, I think it was just a concert where she told this story. And the story that she tells is that the person who was operating the trapdoor that night was somebody who was filling in and from the sounds of it they didn't uh they didn't execute the cues properly when they were called that's what it sounds like so it's a pretty big mistake i mean i don't know for sure if that's what happened that's what adina menzel says instead of the usual stepping onto the trapdoor and then it dropping she like stepped into an empty trapdoor so it had already fallen i just i'm like how does that that's one of my worst fears yeah so i not don't that know i'm if... gonna encounter a trapdoor anytime soon but either whoever was operating it thought she heard the geo at the uh standby who knows i don't know this is like a question for friend of the pod tina 
Because, yeah, because, like, how? That's, like, something pretty severe to happen. I mean, obviously, like, shit happens in theater, but, like, you would think there would be too many safeguards in place for that to happen. It seems to me like the more likely scenario would be the trapdoor not going down, you know? Like, that's... Or... Shit happens. Shit happens. But also, like, Indina Menzel attributed it to somebody filling in. Yeah. And doing it wrong. But you would think something like that important and, like, that concerned with safety, there would be two people who knew how to do it who did it on the regular. That it wasn't just a rando replacement. They found him off the street. They're like, hey, can you push a button? Yeah. Oof. So either, like, in her interpretation of the story and what happened, she had a lack of understanding of what the person did or who they were. I mean, not to shit on actors, but it's highly possible that she wouldn't know how the, um, how the the track would work. Either that or someone just really screwed up and that happens in theater. Hence the episode. It's kind of sad, Matt. Oof, that sucks. And like, was yeah, suspended true. two days before we opened. Like, rip. Not exactly the same thing. Also a pandemic. Aww. So that's two fun little stories. Let's hear our next historic event. Our other historic event. This one is wild because it is responsible for like a lot of building codes and like safety precautions and ways of doing large events and setting up large venues um it was really like the historical precedent for all those types of changes being made so on december 30th 1903 a fire broke out in the iroquois theater in chicago illinois during a performance of a over-the-top musical comedy called mr bluebeard and i would like to take a moment to address how this theater, the Iroquois theater, and we know that the Iroquois is a Native American tribe, and that is some colonial bullshit if I've ever heard it. Naming your bougie-ass theater after a Native American tribe. Anyway, so, and this venue was huge. Over 1,700 people were there, and there were people standing in the aisles because you could purchase a ticket as a standing ticket holder. So if you can just, let me just paint this picture of like 1,700 people in seats, plus probably hundreds of people standing in aisles of the theater. And this fire breaks out because a spark came off of a stage light and it lit some drapery made of muslin on fire and it spread everywhere and my understanding of the situation is that everybody tried to remain calm to the point where like it was not safe to remain calm (laughs) and the lead actor whose name was eddie foy like tried to like keep the audience's attention and keep the show going and stagehands tried to lower this like flame resistant curtain that would stop the fire and it didn't come down it like got stuck and finally the audience was like maybe we should evacuate But they had a hard time finding the exits because the exits were covered with curtains and it was dark because they were in a theater. So people started to evacuate as best as they could, but the amount of people mixed with not having all the exits like available to them made that really difficult. So the actors evacuated out the stage door in the back, which caused this big draft to come into the building from outside. Mind you, it was also winter outside at the time. 
um, in this big cold draft basically just like stoked the fire and made it bigger. Meanwhile, there was a ballerina trapped in some rigging and she was left behind. She couldn't evacuate, so she obviously died in the fire. And there were some people in like the upper levels and like balconies and nosebleed sections that tried to get out of some fire escape, but there wasn't a ladder to go down the fire escape. So this was like a big deal. There was like presumably 2,000 plus people involved and over a third of them died. Um, And there was a lot of injuries. And this caused like a huge controversy because nobody knew where to like place the blame. The theater was advertised as fireproof, but once it was um, inspected after the fact, it was discovered that they didn't have an adequate fire alarm system or automatic sprinklers or marked exits or a fire extinguisher. Plus, the stacks on top of the theater that could have vented smoke out of the building were boarded shut. There was also a note here in this resource I was looking at is that the mayor had ordered all Chicago theaters to be inspected like months before this, but city officials like didn't really enforce these building codes. Like it just wasn't one of their priorities. And the crazy thing that I learned is that the theater owners, as well as the building architect, when asked and like interrogated about this, they blamed like the amount of death on the patrons panicking and stomping all over each other trying to exit. And I'm just like, who boards the chimney or like the smokestacks of a building shut with like hammer and nail? That was definitely the patrons' fault. Do you know why they did that? No, it doesn't make any sense. So as a result of this disaster, this was a huge tragedy, obviously, with nobody ever being held accountable. There were a lot of changes as a result, such as the lighting of exits by Red Flame, which presumably now that is why exit signs are in neon lights, because we don't light things with lanterns anymore and aisles and corridors so doorways and like you know vestibules and stuff have to be lit um at the time they started putting fireproofing solution on scenery i'm not sure if that's still a thing i just assume that people don't use highly flammable objects for scenery anymore they had to make sure fire alarms were connected occupancy limits on theaters the elimination of standing tickets um, there was changes to changes to large sprinkler system requirements and rules for rooftop ventilation. Imagine that. Also, there was a guy who I believe he was supposed to attend this performance, but he didn't end up doing it. I think he was some sort of like engineer or contractor or something like that. He had had buddies who had, like survived this fire or were like close to people that had survived this fire. And it inspired him to come up with the idea of the crash bar mechanism on exit doors. So, like, you know, the doors that have the bar that you, like, push in to open them instead of, like, a handle. They're also called panic bars, which makes sense because all of these people were, like, trampling over each other, panicking, trying to get out of this burning building. And so they have, or nowadays we have this panic bar that you can just, like, ram your body into a door. I had never heard about that ballerina. 
That's fucked up. Yeah, that is... She had to have been so I mean, obviously everyone who died, that's, like, fucked up, but, like... Yeah. For whatever reason, that, in particular, strikes me as, like... Yeah, I feel like her suffering would have just had to been so prolonged because she was, like... I guess maybe... It didn't say if she was in the air, it just said she was trapped in the rigging, so it just... I guess that could have meant that she was still attached to the rigging and couldn't leave the building because she was attached to it and not that she was necessarily in the air... And that's why there are occupancies and you don't have people standing in the aisles at shows anymore. The neck theater disaster that I want to talk about does not involve as many people, but I still remember this happening and it was a crazy day on Tumblr.com. So the day was January 4th, 2014, and I believe it was a two-show day for Matilda on Broadway. A bunch of actors were sick. The lead called out. Obviously, Swings had to fill in. Can I clarify which amount of these actors were, like, child actors? I don't know. I believe there ended up only being one healthy Matilda. Oh, dear. That's what I read earlier today when I was researching. Someone was like, wait, so blah 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 is the only healthy Matilda left. What about, like, the other children? Was it a bunch of the other children that got sick? Because aren't there several children? Yeah, there's a lot of kids in the show. I have an Instagram comment I will read to you in a second. I think a okay. couple of the kids got sick, but I don't know the exact numbers. So in total, it appears there were 12 actors all out of the same show. Dang. Which is a lot. That's a lot of actors. It's like a record number. It's gotta be. Yeah. Except so for like operas. Were, um, when I say they, I mean actors themselves or like stage management. They were pulling ill actors mid-show. So there would be like one actor was playing a minor character and then they'd come off stage and they would like go home because they were so ill. So then someone else would have to take over their track. Oh, jeez. An ensemble member or swing named Clay Thompson. He had five parts in one scene. That's according to this anecdote from someone who was there. There was also a swing, Heather, T and I hope I'm saying her name right. It's T-E-P-E. She posted a picture on Instagram right after this, and she said, Yesterday was a crazy day. Trailing turned into rushing to get at Celia May ready in three minutes. Approximately a minute later, I get put on standby for a new track. Ten minutes later, I get called to the stage immediately to go on for a different new track. Somehow oh my ran from my dressing room and made it to the next scene. Show two, I start off preparing for another new track. At the 15-minute call, more people start going down. Split tracks start happening. Wakes flying, quick changes, information left and right. Learning male adult tracks at intermission. Kid, adult, boy, girl, who am I? Somehow we manage. The show must go on. And when you have a great team, it always will. Hashtag 12 down. Oh my goodness. What a hero. I know. So her and Clay really, uh, really stepped it up there, it sounds like. So shout out to Heather and Clay from the 2014 cast of Matilda on Broadway, uh, Friends of the Pod. So yeah, that's, that's what happened. 12 ill actors all at once. And it was, a uh, hot mess. But I mean, they pulled it off. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that the show itself was a mess, but I mean, like, from the backstage perspective, a hot mess. Yeah, just like that, having to change tracks like that many times. Just how? <laughs> Swings are so badass, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, I don't know how one pulls that kind of thing off. I guess a lot of it is just trusting in yourself that you know enough and that you have the skills and the, like, confidence to fake it and to just, like, stay in the moment and do whatever you gotta do to get through it. Yeah. Dang. 
I was sort of a swing for um, a production of Elizabeth Wreck, which is a cast of, I believe it's 13 men and three women. The, there ended up being a lot of times where I, who was playing the bear, which is a pretty I was going to say, isn't this the show where you played a bear? I did. I played a bear, a full-on bear. Yeah, I had a bear suit. Since I just played the bear, I don't want to say just played the bear, I 100% played that bear and, and I, yeah i know I she played that the bear scene every time i was on stage okay let me tell you i got oohs and ahs from that audience when actors were missing i filled in i also was an asm on the show because my part was so small that i had timed asm and then um fill in for people who weren't at rehearsal so in one of the dress rehearsals i played the male lead of the show and I was 16 at the time, I think, and I was there, like, sitting in my pajamas on cue to cue day, doing this monologue done by this gay man who has syphilis, and he talks about, like, his encounter with anal sex with this other man. What a ride. I did lots of things during that, <laughs> that show. She's versatile. I never had to play the queen. She was always there. Good for her. I think you had other stories. Yes, I have two more. Next is Spider-Man. Um, do you know anything about Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? Um, almost nothing. I know that it didn't do very well. And that there was some flying involved. And some other special effects. And that's about it. Yeah, that's... You did really well. The Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is a musical. It was the highest budget ever for a musical, so it's like a spectacle show. There's a lot of stunts involved because it's Spider-Man, so obviously there's got to be stunts. There were a lot of injuries during the show, whether it was performances or rehearsals or the previews. And here's the thing, okay? It's normal for especially dancers and stunt people to get an occasional injury on a show because of overuse and because our bodies are only bodies and shit happens when you're doing eight shows a week. Mm -hmm. However, <laughs> there were a lot of injuries. During, I believe it was during the previews, the Department of Labor in New York had to come in to investigate if it was a safe workplace and actors' equity investigations Ooh. happened and the production ended up being fined because of unsafe condition so like it was a mess i don't know how this shit happened yeah there, so there was like actual violations going on because they got fined yeah it wasn't like a freak accident there were violations going on things happened that should not have happened the most significant of these was when one of the spider-men the stunt performer named chris tierney the actual number varies by the source but we'll go with the bigger one he fell 30 fucking feet <sighs> Um, during the show. So, yeah, as you said, there's, like, flying and stuff. Um, but this isn't fucking Peter Pan. We can't use the same technology that we used in Peter Pan in the 50s. No, 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 no. That will not do. So, he was, like, fly over the audience and shit. And the way that the arms are choreographed from the videos I've seen from, like, promo shots, it's actually pretty cool because he'll make it look like it's actually his web. So that's cool. kind of sick. But this particular thing didn't happen when he was over the audience, but he was, like, on a platform on the stage. 
So he fell from this platform, which is on the stage, into the pit. It was either 21 or 30 feet. I don't know. Fell. A very high distance to fall. Yeah, that's a long Regardless, fall. it's not good. <laughs> and it appears what happens. So he's on this platform, and then MJ is below him, like on the ground level of the stage and in the video it it was caught on video he just like falls forward i don't know what was supposed to happen people in the audience heard like a thud and a blackout happens at that time and then from the video it looks like the blackout just like stayed like the the blackout just like lasted and everyone's like again is this supposed to happen (laughs) another bad sign when you're sitting in a theater and the lights don't come back up after (laughs) a blackout (laughs) yeah and then somebody yelled call 911 so 911 was called and he ended up being released from the hospital i believe it was eight days later oh boy so like he survived that fall which is so when you say fall was he still attached to like the rigging or he was Not. attached, but the safety cables weren't properly So it, like, rigged, dropped my him. my understanding. It dropped him. Yeah. Hold on. I'll, I'll send you the video so you can see for yourself. I can see for myself. I can see the horrific incident. Yeah, it's, it's not as scary as I thought it would be to watch it. I think because I know he's okay. Yeah, right. I mean, if I, if I knew he was not, then I don't think I would be able to watch this. Yeah, um... Did you find out, like, what his, any of his injuries were? Yeah, it just says his safety harness wasn't secured properly. Okay, here's what he says his injuries were. He broke three vertebrae, um, his lower vertebrae. He broke four ribs. He fractured his elbow and my skull. And he says, quote, I went out for the jump. I'm contained by my tether, and that's why I'm always, you know, it will stop me. And so I always go for it. I didn't factor in somebody's mistake, you know, back there. And so, yes, I took a dive, but it was worth it. Interesting. The crazy thing is he came back to the show. Interesting. Wait, did you say he was a stuntman and not an actor? Yes, he's a stuntman. He's not an actor. He was like, it's fine. It's part of the job. It was his Broadway debut. (laughs) Break a leg. Like I said, yep. I wouldn't I wouldn't laugh at it. Right. If... I mean, obviously he was fine. He went back to work. <laughs> he just like yeets himself he off. He really does. <laughs> he he really did go for it. He was right. Yeah. He could be an actor with those big choices. Okay. So the last one that I want to talk about is my own personal theater disaster. The one that haunts my dreams. I'll bleep out his name, but this was the... Oh my gosh. This was the performance where was in the audience. Okay. And when this happened, he he was, he was went like this. Oh no! <laughs> he like hit his face. Oh. And he was like physically uncomfortable he couldn't and I, bear like, to see it yeah i was like oh my god so i was in the show men on boats by jacqueline backhouse i was there we were we really did that we um, really did that i assistant directed that show co-assistant played, directed with friend of yes, the pod chris i played george young bradley and it was one of my favorite theatrical experiences of all time So in the show, there are a lot of scenes where all these bros are sitting around 
a campfire and the campfire i don't know exactly what we had but it was like yeah it was it was just like some gels and some lights i think and it was on like a little rolly platform yeah, it rolled. It was super heavy. And it made noise. It, like, cracked. Yeah, so it looked like a, a real little fire. Super cool. And it made noise. During one of the performances, something went wrong with the speakers inside. And I'm guessing it was probably dropped or something because it was very heavy and we had to move it really quickly. So my guess is that somebody broke something inside or bangled some wires. So it started making fucking loudest crackling sound like no, that you've ever fucking heard. As in heard. like a microphone feedback type crackling sound? Or was it just like louder than it was supposed to be? Um, I wouldn't describe it as like a feedback sound. It was just like, it was kind of like 10 times as loud as it was supposed to gotcha. be. Gotcha. Plus a little bit of like, you described the, the feedback static sound. Yeah. So it was clear that something was wrong. And my dumb bitch ass, I didn't do any <laughs> And I fucking should have. Oh my God, I just thought it would like stop on its own. <laughs> and if I were in that position now, I would handle it differently. Like, I guess you learn and you grow and it's okay. Because none of my other 10 castmates did anything either. That's but we right. all just started, like, speaking louder and oh, trying to speak no. over it. So the quietest member of the cast, the quietest character, I mean, has to give this really quiet, sentimental monologue about yeah. how he once saw his friend, like, die in the cold. And so during oh that my gosh, monologue, I remember that. this fire was, like, crackling. Oh, no. All the people in the audience knew something was wrong, and they were already stressed because that theater gets really, really hot. So everyone was already kind of uncomfortable physically. And right. And that just added to the secondhand embarrassment. And then, like, I had third-hand embarrassment from seeing the reaction <laughs> of the audience member because we were so close to one another. Oh, my gosh. My character, I could have fucking... So easily said, hey, old shady, I think I'm warm enough. Will you help me move this? Right. And just yeeted the fire out because the play was not realism. Yeah. So right. Yeah. If I were in like a doll's house or something, I wouldn't do that shit. Right. You can't because like. <laughs> but yeah, forever and ever. I will always, I always wish when, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm like, oh what regrets God. do you have? I'd be like, I didn't fucking move the fire. I could have just. Men on votes 2018. <laughs> why yeah. oh man yeah i don't remember if you ever told me about that maybe you did yeah i might not have because it was a few Rest days before spring audition so i was so stressed yeah <laughs> i was so stressed yeah but yeah it's okay it did not ruin the show everything else went fine and they fixed it um i think during intermission so obviously yeah. it worked out and uh yeah it wasn't anyone's fault it was yeah. thing that happened and it was pretty funny yeah, the other thing about that show, too, is, like, it was such a small space that you guys weren't mic'd. Because I was gonna say, like, it'd be easier to talk over something, I feel like, if you had the mic going through speakers. And not right. just, like, you shouting over this, like, loud set piece. <laughs> I don't think I have any major theater disasters. I've witnessed one or two. Do you remember? I actually, this is what I meant to bring up. I can't Are you remember gonna talk about she, she burned her leg? Uh, no, I don't know what okay. you're talking about. Um, when, <laughs> hang on, we'll get back to that. But okay. I want to say this was like one of the performances of Twaked and I was there for some reason. 
it was a show with an audience. Like, I don't think it was a dress rehearsal. The fire alarm went off. Everybody had to go outside just for our, yes. our listeners. This was an immersive theater piece. Yes. So <laughs> the whole building or the majority of the building was being used for this show. And actors were all in different places. And audience members were all in different places. And the fire alarm started going off. And it was winter. And everybody had to evacuate in the middle of a performance, which was immersive theater and basically long-form improv. Yes. So you can imagine how that went when you had to go outside and be commingled with audience members and actors and there being no consensus on whether the actors were going to stay in character or not. That was the thing I found most amusing was seeing the different responses to that. Like, some people were, like, talking about what was happening. I think some people were pretending like it was a normal part of the show. Other people had, like, pretty much dropped it completely. Yeah. It was That's another show that... I mean, with Men on Boats, I would like to just go back and change that one thing because for the most part, I'm happy with the work I did. But with Twakin... This is Abby turning into having a crisis about her acting career. Yeah, like, I would just like to do Twak... Okay, let me be clear. I don't want to talk it over again. But if I were to do it again, it would. I would do everything so differently i was like still very much coming into my own as an actor she was such a babe i was i can't believe it yeah this is another show that abby was in that i assistant directed in college and this was the first year she was at school as a transfer this was like toward the beginning of our friendship and she was just such a baby not my finest moments i mean i didn't do anything bad on the show just like you were fine Thank you. (laughs) Going back to the concept of um, staying in character, I think, if I remember correctly, what most people ended up doing was the people who had, like, somewhat comedic relief parts stayed in character. I mean, like, Friend of the Pod Isabella, who we've mentioned before, had to have stayed in character because, like, she could not escape her character. (laughs) I think she's still in character. Yeah, I think she still is in character. I think she is playing Jackie. Oh my gosh, friend of the pod, Rob, when he listens to this, will be so pleased to take this trip down memory lane with us. It's lore. It's department lore. It is. It's deep lore now. (laughs) What was the other Uh, thing that we were going to come back to? Somebody burning their leg? I'm not sure if I know what you're referring to. This was also in Tuakid, and it was set in the South, so we had this evangelical woman, and she played, um, well... The character is the mother of the girl who, in the show, within the show, plays Juliet and Romeo and Juliet. She hated Friend of the Pod Isabella's character. So part of this immersive theater experience was, as the audience was coming in each night for the show, six of us, I believe, would mingle. And we would welcome the audience to our show, which was Romeo and Juliet. And Jenny... Um, for a performance, she was making, like, tea or coffee, and she spilled hot water on her leg, so she had a huge welt on her leg, a huge welt, nasty. So, (laughs) during the mingling, (laughs) the pre-show, like I said, a lot of this is improvised, especially during pre-show, which was the time for us to, like, really relax before we kicked into this, like, shitstorm. 
So this was near the end of the run, and she went up to these audience members. I'm pretty sure it was front of the pod, Dan. Um, I think he was oh, definitely yeah. there. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely professors and people who like knew yeah, us. Not strangers. She went up and she would like lift her dress just slightly to show the huge welt, and she'd be like, "Jackie Douglas, she's she's one with the devil. She's burned me." Oh my god! <laughs> wow, what a trip. This was really yeah. was a trip down memory lane. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, that's episode. it for theater disasters. But if you want to send in your theater disasters that you think are really exciting, feel free to send them to us. Yeah, we love theater disaster stories. Or if there's animals involved, um, I'm a big fan of like when bats arrive in theaters. That happened during Oklahoma rehearsal. Amazing. Um, were we gonna do a segment, like, featuring stuff people have told us about their personality tests? Yeah. This segment is called Friends of the Pod. <laughs> Our first Twitter response is from Friend of the Pod, Leia, and she said, Y'all's charts make so much sense, thanks for the shout out. And then she said, in response to Brianna getting a character from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, It's Willow, right? You got Willow from Buffy? Do you know if it was Willow? No, it was somebody named Rupert, which I responded to her with. And she was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But like Willow is more accurate. So thank you, Leia, for your insight. Yes, thank, and thank you. thank you for tweeting us. Our next friend of the pod is Dan. And you can find him on Twitter at Danaturg. It's like Dramaturg, but Dan. Yep. He was on Jeopardy. Clever. He was a three-time Jeopardy champion. So Dan says, my chart is sun and moon in Capricorn, Sagittarius rising, Venus in Aquarius. Sorting is usually Ravenclaw, but I have also gotten Slytherin and Hufflepuff. Enneagram 9, formerly 3. Always an ambivert. Used to be INFP slash ENFP, but the P is creeping toward J. So basically Dan is a combination of the two of us in terms of Myers-Briggs. Yes. Because I'm an INFJ and you're an ENFP, so. Mm-hmm. I love that. For Perfect. Us. <laughs> it makes sense that he's an NF. Yeah. Um, he also told us the pronunciation of the name that we weren't yes. sure about. I think he said Hephaestus. Yes, Hephaestus. And he gave some insights on what Hephaestus did. Hephaestus was married to Aphrodite. He caught her cheating on him with Ares and captured them in a net for the other gods to laugh at them. But the takeaway in a personality quiz is probably hardworking and not afraid to get your hands dirty. So we thanked him for his insight and then asked about the yes. pronunciation. And he said, I would say Hephaestus. So thank you, friend of the pod, Dan. We appreciate you. Friend of the pod, Heather said, hey, just want to say ENFPs are lovely and asterisk NFPs, which I think she means either INFPs or ENFPs, are one of my favorite personality types to hang out with. I love listening to y'all's stories with as much exposition as content, truly. And then the, the watery eyes emoji with hearts. And then she Cute. said, also, I took the character personality quiz as I was listening, and my top match from the West Wing was tied between CJ Craig and Joey Lucas. I have never seen the West Wing, but I still wanted you both to know for science purposes. First of all, I recommended to her that she watch the West Wing because she has a college degree in, yes. I think, I mean, she'll correct me, but I'm pretty sure it's like social policy or something like that. Yeah, it's like public policy. So Yeah. And I'm like, why isn't this girl watch the West Wing? If you she know. ever wants to be on blue checkmark twitter she's gotta watch she west has wing. to watch the west wing obviously <laughs> yeah which i thought were accurate for her because they're 
both strong and witty and competent women. Absolutely. Yeah, CJ Craig makes sense. Thank you to our friends of the pod. And um, Brianna, do you want to talk a little bit more about Jason? Yeah, like what you said, he's definitely like one of those people that really captures the phrase like grace under fire like literally anything could be happening or going wrong and he just even if he wasn't chill on the inside who knows like he had this very calm demeanor on the outside and if there was ever like a problem um he was specifically he worked in sound design so if there was ever a problem and like a director like an actor whoever would bring it up he would be like okay I'll see what I can do that was just, like, his pretty much standard response. Like, we'll see what we can do about that. Just, like, that's it. Like, no complaint. No sense of, like, stress or overwhelmed. And he was just... And he could also laugh at, you know, the... He had this sly sense of humor that he could make light out of, like, really any situation. Um, and so that's why we felt like this episode was fitting to record in honor of his memory because like Abby said like it's some we feel like he would have appreciate the anecdotes and that it really like encapsulates like who he was to us who he was to the other members of the department and the creative teams of all the shows that he worked on I got to work with him last fall when I operated the soundboard and I was really nervous because like, I didn't want to fuck it up. And I know I was just hitting space bar, but like I still didn't want to fuck anything up and like make him hate me. <laughs> but he was so kind and just like so much fun. His spirit is just really special. Yeah. And Strike for um, the show last fall. I nobody likes strike first of all like strike Such a is just drag not a... you just want to go home so I expected it to be a really long day but he made it so much fun and he I just we just joked around and I just kept cracking jokes and I just remember him like laughing backstage <laughs> and everyone else was like in their own world like dressed as fuck and then there were the three of us on the sound team who were just vibing and he was like, you're really funny, you know? And I was like, thanks, Aww. man. And like, it was a great day because he made it so great. And a couple memories I have of him, I guess like one of the first ones that I can remember really clearly, like I always had a sense of like who he was, but one of the things I remember is when I assistant directed The Great Gatsby when I was a sophomore, me and the director kind of like both pushed for this idea of like having a live band and Jason, he was a professional trumpet player. And so we were like, there should be a live jazz band on stage because that would really bring like the Roaring Twenty vibe. I just remember being in a production meeting being like, hmm, well, Jason plays the trumpet and he has a tux and he knows people in the College of Music. <laughs> and he definitely like probably would have rather not had to deal with being at every single performance. But it was something that like, we as a creative team really wanted to do and like were budgeting money to do it so he did and he put a band together and he was pretty much their leader and he composed original scoring for that play and he like I said he led the band and he was playing the trumpet at every single performance and that was just like I always thought about that as like yep he'll do what he needs to do to make the show good even if like it comes at like a sacrifice for him. One of the other ones I have is that I also got to work with Jason last year 
like Abby did on a different show where I was the soundboard operator. Um, and it was Into the Woods, which was the last show that was done before COVID hit. It literally closed like two weeks before. And he was the sound designer and basically like my supervisor as well as the supervisor for like the mic techs and there were three of them and so we were like our little sound crew and we called ourselves JPP's babies and one of the stories I remember was like um someone on sound crew had mentioned how like Jason told him about writing his name in for sheriff for elections or like he was trying to get elected sheriff so I asked him about it because I was so confused I was like hang on Jason like what's the deal with you and like running for sheriff and he was like oh yeah when elections roll around I have my friends write my name in for county sheriff <laughs> and if you know Jason I'm not so sure he would have made a great sheriff <laughs> and I was like so like what would happen if you won <laughs> if you had enough people write your name down and he didn't have a plan. He didn't think enough people would write his name down, so he didn't have to worry about it. But that's just, like, an example of, like, his sense of humor and kind of, like, just, he's just, he was really sneaky about it. Like, yeah, he's very chill and quiet and just, like, he had this, like, observational kind of quiet humor that you really have to be, like, paying attention to him to, like, hear the remarks that he's making, which I appreciated. And also on the last day of the show, we pooled together money to buy him cheese and wine because we always just talked about, like, how hard he worked and how, like... He really had his hands in everything and was responsible for so much and was underappreciated and he should just have like a gift. So we like pulled together money and Mac went to pick up like wine and cheese for him and we gave it to him and he was just like so floored. Like he could not believe that we got him this like tiny gift that we didn't think was that big of a deal. Like he was just like so surprised he couldn't believe it and he... And, like, you know how sweet he is. So he was like, I don't think anybody's, like, gotten me a gift like this before. And we were like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, this episode is for Jason. Yep, this is for Jason. I think he would be tickled by the idea of us doing a podcast. I mean, neither of us took his sound design class, but we're up here using Audacity. You're editing. Yeah. You're inserting sound effects. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed, please share it with a friend or review our podcast wherever you listen. And you can also reach us on Twitter at What's Next Pod C. We would love to hear your own theater disasters and we'll share our favorites next week. Bye.